We'd like to welcome in our special guests for a very special hoon for the year. This is the summary and look ahead, uh, the hits, the hits, the misses, the um, things we need to uh, uh, go and run away and hide under a rock because <laughs> it might happen next year. Uh, 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 firstly, um, Robert Patman from the University of Otago. Robert, um, so many huge contributions on the Hoon this year. It's wonderful to have you back. Oh, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. You've given us a credibility that we didn't deserve. We've, we've stolen <laughs> your credibility and moulded into our own. Thank you. Well, thank you. And what a year of international relations. It's actually, for, for me, the discussions on the Hoon about what on earth is going on in Europe have been one of the highlights, and I felt like I was a bit more connected because of it. So thank you, Robert. Thank you because you were reading my, um, my uh, spin-off. Please so put that into the chat. I will now. just do that yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. We, we, <laughs> Thank we, we. you. And uh, Josie Pagani, Josie Pagani, who has uh, been on the Hoon uh, uh, several times, and we really appreciate it. And it's great that you could come back for us. And I'd recommend everyone read uh, Josie's um, column in the Dominion Post today. Um, having a a, a good old um, uh, critical right about the treasury i certainly was cheering on from the sidelines thank mm. you very much oh thanks bernard is, yes. is this about the depth of the potential recession bernard no, yeah, this no, is no, no the, nothing quite as serious yeah no, this is this is about the performative um uh constant reporting by the treasury about well-being um but when it comes to show me the money they always say uh it's more important we have low interest rates than people have places to live Actually, one thing I'd say, Bernard, is that whenever I do a column, I, if, if the people that I respect the most and my favourite people in the world um, say they like the column, I go, yes, I've got it right. You know, whereas when there's a sort of silence from people like you, I go, hmm. No, no, no it was a re- <laughs> really good one. And in a moment, I will pop it into the chat for everyone to see. And Rod Oram, it is fantastic to see you there um, on the other end of the internets. Um, I, for those who don't know, uh, Rod is the columnist uh, for business, the economy, and environment for uh, Newsroom. And uh, I've, I'm so proud that uh, we managed to make that column happen, uh, Rod. And it's been one of the mainstays, I think, for years now. And intelligent discussion and insight on all of those areas and it's wonderful to to have you on uh uh just just briefly on the on the hoon it's wonderful well thank you it's a great pleasure to be here and it's uh, a huge outlet rob you should be an extraordinarily proud to be on it it's one of New Zealand's <laughs> yeah, most i mean should, robert Chapman was, was, was a little known was it was a little known um housing real estate magnate in otago before we before we found him <laughs> Chance will be a fine thing. 67 houses he's got down there. <laughs> um, and uh, it is great to see you, right? So the uh, order of affairs today, uh, Josie has to pop off at about 5.20. So we thought we'd um, bring you in first, Josie, to talk about... Oh, you're uh, changing the running order again. Oh, actually, what are you, Bernard, Bernard tell, tell me what your three big to- topics of 2023, yes. 2023 <laughs> we'll start, were. We'll start those. I think standards have really dropped now. It's the end of yeah, the year. Like you're either drunk or um, you're... Yeah. Jeez, chance, would be a, chance would be a fine thing. And also, it's only 1700, 17, 1707. Yes. No, it is, um, I'm out of practice after three weeks on holiday. So yeah. Peter is exactly right. What we said we'd do is talk about the big... Because that'll segue events. into your bits, you see. Yep. Um, from uh, big three events of the year. 
and uh, and the next uh, what we think is going to happen next year. For me, the big three events were the parliamentary protest protests in February and March, in which people stood outside Parliament a hundred meters as the crow flies from the Prime Minister's office for days on end, threatening to kill her, and got away with it. Mm. Um, that was the one big event. The second big event, obviously, is the Russia. Uh, invasion of Ukraine, and uh, for oh, me, I thought I was doing that one. Oh, Jesus Christ! Oh, yeah. Well, no, okay. Well, the way I'll describe <laughs> Russia is the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the ongoing effects of COVID created two supply cho- supply shocks for the global economy, which tipped inflation over the edge and forced central banks to um, rapidly and aggressively, and I think probably. Um, over-aggressively tighten monetary policy this year, which is going to rapidly turn the global economy towards recession and has already dragged our house prices down 10 to 15%, and we're likely to see it go 20% down from the from the peak. And we saw that uh, the culmination of that in Aotearoa um, a few weeks ago when the Reserve Bank governor told everyone to cool their jets and uh so we're in the process of doing that for christmas and uh so that's that, that that's the the big things from my point of view this year and looking ahead to next year i think the things that really matter will be around the election we're at the moment national act on track to win government in their own right secondly uh the um australian announcement about citizenship for new zealanders i think it has the potential to unleash a new exodus of young people and their kids to Australia where they'll have a future with lower housing costs relative to their incomes and 30 to 40% higher. Might you go, Bernard? Sorry? Might you go? (laughs) Sadly, when I was in Australia three weeks ago, everyone tried to give me a job and I came back. Oh, excellent. So that's good. (laughs) Um, And uh, so those are the main things from my point of view for next year. Josie, um, from your point of view, what, what were the big things that in retrospect, we'll think, well, that really mattered in 2022. I mean, you'd have to say the the war in Ukraine, Russia's war in Ukraine. um, And I think to see that kind of war, um, combat war, trench war again in Europe is is still shocking, you know. And um, what's remarkable, though, I think, is the way that the support in the West has has been steadfast, Mm. right? And we all thought that it would start to fade um, the other thing that I noticed in New Zealand, so Zelensky, obviously, you know, he, President Zelensky spoke to the New Zealand Parliament um, and he congratulated New Zealand on being one of the first to support Ukraine. Now, my memory of that is that um, people, the public, were actually ahead of the government. Absolutely. There, were, there was a lot of people just going, why aren't we doing more? What are we going to do about this? We need to get behind this. And I suspect that the government were polling the bejesus out of it, focus grouping uh, Mm. to find out whether or not there'd be support for this. And they found out overwhelmingly there was. So New Zealand... We were hesitating, Josie, very much. There was this kind of slightly precious approach to sanctions. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. And and so, um, you know, I I was really proud of the fact that our kind of Kiwi instincts were, actually, this is about us. This is about Mm. protecting, uh, you know, liberal values, democracy, uh, rule of law, all of the things we depend on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but also looking forward, Bernard, if I think about Ukraine, you know, what the hell is going to happen in 2023? Uh, The figure I saw was it's something like $2.8 trillion, the cost of the war for next year. That's the projection. So will that will that support maintain? 
I, I think it will, but there's real pressure to try and bring this to an end. And it cannot come to an end until Putin knows he's going to lose mm. because if he thinks he's got some negotiating, he'll just do what he's done in every situation in the last 10, 10 years where he signs a treaty and doesn't, doesn't stand by it. And, Mind you, it's you very know, interesting. Did you see the Angela Merkel comments about the Minsk Treaty having yeah. been a kind of delaying tactic in order to help uh, Ukraine get prepared? And it's very clear that we were help we the West was helping Ukraine from as early as September last year. Um, mm. And, and that, you know, that included really remarkable reversioning, if you like, or re- new approaches to, to, to Ukrainian military doctrine. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, Peter. And um, so I, I, I think that there will be, I think we'll see peace in 2023, but it will, it will need to be on Ukraine's terms. And, um, and New Zealand's got a role to play in that. Um, I, the, the other thing I was going to say, Bernard, is the parliamentary protest was my other big event of the year. Um, apart from, and these are all really linked, I guess, the sort of conscious uncoupling of the Wellington Beltway from the rest of the country. You know, it feels like... And, and just, the just, Wellington doesn't have a Beltway because it's, it's too hilly to have any kind of bloody road going around the outside. I oh, know, it? but it's, it's got the town belt. So it, it's, <laughs> oh, I see. It's just the people very who are walking. Yeah. Belt. It's a crew. All right, come on, yeah, Joseph, yeah. please. Anyway, please, don't, don't let art whooshed over you it's a metaphor the bell um but yeah so i i with the parliamentary protests i think that began it really um consolidated there bernard where yes there were fringe elements who were ugly violent threatening violence against mps and prime minister it was it was it was an ugly scene but there were a whole lot of people there you know some of whom unfortunately i'm related to my idiot cousins but you know th- there were a whole don't lot worry, of people we've all got that, one or two of those so i've got even, yeah. you know, some of them might even be closer than that it's, they're probably on that, on the hoon watching yeah, so yeah i was going to mention yeah. one of my family members but i think that's not yeah so isn't that interesting i reckon we've probably all got family members who were there or you know people we know who were there and these were people who for whatever stupid reasons didn't get vaccinated um, but they were people who, you know, first time in New Zealand history where, where the consequence of that had been that you maybe lost your job because of the mandates. So I think that the divisions that we're seeing, this kind of conscious uncoupling of the political sphere and the rest of the country is getting worse. And it's not just the, the nuttiness we see on the, on the sort of conspiracy side of, of the far right. It is also, I think, the actions of, of, of some of the actions of this government where they very much distance themselves from anyone at those protests there was mm. one quote that stood out to me was um it was actually the late neil miller who said it that um you know the, the whole narrative was that these were white supremacists at parliament and then he said well those white supremacists do a pretty good hacker you know it yeah. was very brown it was very working it's class. very brown and, and the distancing and the distancing between the government and the media is very brown you know the yeah. the 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 propensity to buy into conspiracy theories, the propensity to feel hard done by by the government is is, is extremely interesting phenomenon, which uh, Mark Gould yeah. has done some very good work on. But I, I think we need to keep 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 an eye on that because um, this I isn't going away. And we saw the weaponization of the, of that poor couple the other day by that ghastly Sue Gray. Yeah, and I think that that that's the concern in 2023 is that division gets worse. And the final thing I'll say, and Robert, Sorry. I'm sure you have been aware of this, I, I actually take this as a wonderfully positive sign for 2023, uh, that two massive nuclear powers, India and China, uh, had a battle uh, on the border, the disputed border up by Tibet. Um, and because they've got this treaty where no one's, no army, the army, two armies, no one's allowed to carry any weapons whatsoever, is that they had a stick fight. And so this... this 
filmed. And it's just like, I think that's wonderfully hopeful that two nuclear powers can have a stick fight. And I'm, you know, I was thinking maybe if they do go to war, we can just like, you know, transition straight to the pillow fight. But so didn't they, didn't, could... didn't, didn't about 30 soldiers get killed in one of those yeah. stick fights earlier on? Oh, they they might have been, not, they might have been pointed sticks. Yeah, 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 not oh, not this one. Do, do you remember I mean, this the Monty? Was, this was a, this the Monty was a fighty, you know, um, like yeah. like the fights in Love Actually, you know, with people. Are, well, I think we all need to have a replay of the Monty Python sketch about how to defend yourself against a banana. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. somehow that gave me hope. But anyway, those are my thoughts. Good on so you. That's a brilliant. Gosh. Josie, you, you make a good point about the mandates, and I come across all um, grumpy about uh, the, you know, the nasty parts of the. Protests. What was interesting in the Chinese experience, which echoed a little bit what we saw, which was they held on and on and on. Yeah, we can do it. We can. Mm. Oh, no, we can't do it. Uh, was that even in China, they did not mandate the vaccination. Right. And that was that was a step too far for the Chinese Communist Party. And the, the prime minister, I know, through 2020 and even uh even close to the when the when the vaccinations were starting, was very reluctant to use the mandate, but chose in the end, in desperation, I, I think, because they realised that it was going to be a hell of a fight to keep it out. Mm. This was the tool they needed, and that there was the social cohesion to be able to deal with it. What hey, I Bernard, think, one of the one of the critical social cohesion aspects that I felt got resolved, not resolved permanently, but really handled extremely well, and it was partly because of that chap Rawari Jensen calling it out was the, the turnaround in Maori and Pacifica yeah. uh, vaccination was brilliant. I, I don't think anybody now would do a mandate knowing what they know about uh, the propensity, you know, uh, that the vaccine doesn't really give you defence against infection, it gives you defence against getting sicker. I, I'm not sure that we would have done mandate. I mean, this is the, the, the amount of second guessing that's going on at the moment about what we knew when is, is absolutely extraordinary. And I, I, I think whatever one, uh, New Zealand still did a remarkable job Mm. Um, in, in particularly Jacinda Ardern and Ashley Bloomfield in communication and being being straight, or as they knew at the time, at least. And um, and pretty much the only person still in their their jobs who hasn't necessarily you know um, gone through exhaustion or burnout or or simply um, their time was up. Pretty much the only people left at the top. We think about you know the extraordinary pressure and work that anyone who knew anyone at the top of government or in, in fact in any business or large organization the last two or three years have been incredibly stressful Ashley Bloomfield is not there uh, if you look across you know a lot of the health authorities they've obviously changed for other reasons and a lot of CEOs have gone you know Auckland Airport CEOs was one of those who left most people have you know after two or three years of this intensity have gone, but the PM and Grant Robertson have not. And um, that, that for me is just the mere fact that they're all still standing up (laughs) at the end of this year after three years is, uh, is quite a thing, particularly I think for the PM who, and, and a lot of people in government who had to walk through or um, get past those pickets in February and March. I don't think it's easy for, anyone to go to work ugly. and have people yeah. waving signs and ropes at you saying they want to kill you every day for three weeks. And uh, 
In the end, uh, it was ugly. Lynn and I walked around the protests and the burning fires that day. And but Bernard, if I was going was to go in a protest with somebody, it would be you because you're yeah, rather large. True. Actually, to be yeah, frank. But the real horror, the real horror, Bernard, let's just be honest about this, was um, playing Barry Manilow on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw Trevor Mallard today and um, he had a bit of a laugh about it, but it, it, it unfortunately, it, it sort of backfired a bit. Um, it certainly did. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's it's been um, that was a, a big deal, just for those. Can I say who... one more thing about that though? Sure. That, that, that I noticed and I, I wrote about this was that for those four weeks of the protest, homelessness in Wellington was pretty much solved for a while. <laughs> um, and and this is not just me saying this. This was uh, City Mission and and so on, um, who were saying that for for the first time ever, the homeless homeless in Wellington had a place to go that a sense of community a sense of belonging um you know it was it it, it was quite extraordinary to see that and mm. and we can learn from that I'm not saying that that you know that shouldn't have to happen with a protest but they were welcome they were fed they were clothed they had somewhere to sleep they had a community so yeah no I so think I think this was that, the, the February March protest was the moment when the 20 or 30 years of widening inequality and the dismantling of large chunks of the welfare state came home to roost. A bit. Oh, do you think it was a, you think it was a protest of our oh, Gini coefficient? Sorry, I'm going to have to go. I'm on the radio. No, no, that's right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Josie. Yeah. Cheers. No, uh, no, no, I, I think... See you, Josie. Thank you, you so were, much. I, I think Josie is right in that a significant number of the people who were in that protest were essentially saying this society isn't working for me it 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 wants to punish me for not uh, having a vaccination and i'm sick of being punished for 30 years and i'm going to protest hmm. so some, there was some of that in there and i think it was something we hadn't seen before even when we've had big protest movements and i'm thinking of things like the springbok tour movement yeah no, was, this, really is, this a, was a whole egalitarian not egalitarian a whole it, there was class, money, dissatisfaction, lying, fake yeah. news, media, no. hatred hatred of the media was in there very strongly, as you know. Yeah, no, and um, I know I sometimes come across as a bit grumpy on all of this, but... Um, Not at all, you just come across slightly obsessed with housing. Yeah, that's true. But, <laughs> you know, every story in New Zealand is a housing story. We just talked about the protests and how the number of homeless people dropped on those few days because they had they had tents to sleep in on the grounds of parliament, uh, which, yeah. So he, hearing that the housing story is, is everything. So, Bernard, but, are you going to, are we segueing to um, Rod or are we segueing? Because, I mean, your bloody scheduling on this is dreadful. I know, I know. Now, let's and go it, to your top three. Oh, excellent. Thank you, Bernard. For your for, for 2022 and to look ahead. And yeah, then so we'll bring they're in all Ross. the same. They're the same for both years. And that is the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, which I've written a lot about and thought a lot about. And lately I've been dealing with some conspiracists and I need to share more often the stories of Peter Hitchens, who is one of the few vaguely sensible people who says that we forced them into this with surrounding them by NATO and so on, except that as a former Reuters correspondent in Romania, I know that to be bollocks, but I, it's, he's, <laughs> he's the least bollocksy person on it. And I also don't believe it's a proxy war for the, for, between the United States and NATO, uh, the United States and Russia, and nor, somebody today talked to me about the 
uh, being an apologist for the coup against um, against Yanukovych. And I was just thinking, you know, Yanukovych is the guy whose whose house was, you know, exposed as being a, a sort of palace, and then he buggered off to to Moscow. You know, you know this was not some sort of you know, illegal coup against a, a, a democratically elected government. So I I need to keep thinking about those. I, I also think it is absolutely true that the Americans contributed to, fanned, and promoted democracy through the yellow, the orange revolution. And, and we, it's weird that Putin and uh, Xi Jinping always talk about color revolutions. Mm. And that's what they're talking about. They're scared to death of them, partly because they are brilliant fanning, brilliant things to fan democracy. And yes, the United States, the National Endowment for Democracy and various others, and George Soros probably will support them, but it doesn't make it a conspiracy. It makes it somebody who's addressing the genuine democratic interests of the country. China is the other one. I think the cementing of power with Xi Jinping is, is one of the great stories of 2023, as is 2022, rather, as is their prov- provocation with Taiwan, which I argue possibly rather rashly uh, in the spinoff this week is, um, is, is something that they slightly pulled back from. Uh, and in 2023, and, and sorry, and also the, the, the unrest in Iran. And today I was listening to an absolutely remarkable uh, uh, audio of a, um, an Iranian doctor uh, speaking um, sotto voce with a, with, through translation about the kinds of injuries that the kids in these protests are receiving. And it would appear that the uh, Revolutionary Guards are deliberately shooting them in the face and in their genitals. Uh, and, you know, this is, and the, the, the rape of these people in prison is extraordinary and the shame that goes along with that. And I think, we you know, there's some pretty dark stuff going on there. Even if, even if you allow... 10% or 15% of hyperbole. It's pretty ugly. And, and the depressing thing about the Iran story is it's so hard to see and to get, to get decent information out of it. You know, the BBC Persian service is busting its balls to try and do this, to do this job. Meanwhile, people are cutting, cutting back the BBC's resources. It's very, very difficult to get a straight story out of Iran. And I think those three stories will move forward. I think the China story is going to be COVID. Um, fortunately, the other day when I was both against deadline and I'd, I'd had a complete failure of my own imagination, I managed to ring um, Professor Patman and help him. He helped me uh, hone hone my hone a, hone a piece of sorry, I was going to say hone a piece of bollocks, hone an excellent piece in next month's in February's North and South magazine about how uh, Jacinda Ardern might be able to turn her prestige on an international setting to a, to an election winning. Um, mm. uh, Mm. Or at least, at least give her some advantage. I did choose to describe Christopher Luxon as looking like a Toby jug, which may be slightly unfair on Toby jugs. But and, and I said right. basically, um, uh, quotes, vote Jacinda, close quotes, said Professor Patman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> um, so that's yeah, a segue I mean, to you, Robert. What are you? What are you? Are we are we are we segwaying to Robert or oh, to? No, we're going to go to Rod. We're going to go to Rod next, if that's Jesus, all right. No, right. Okay, so Rod, because, Rod, because COP our twenty seven was a complete load of old bollocks. Answer that. Yeah, well, let's just. So, I'm really glad Rod uh, was able to come on because our you know hits and misses of the year did not include the climate, but we, you could argue that every day now, every day in the last year, and of course in the next year, will be some new record some new threat, some new also failure on, on uh, climate policy. And COP27, um, you know, in a normal year would have been the most amazing story. But, of course, with so much going on, Rod, you actually went to 
COP27. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Did you take and, a catamaran like um, like um, Greta Thunberg? And you know, I'm not I, calling I, you a hypocrite, Rod. Yeah, you know, I, I took an Emirates walker. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about your top uh, stories this year, Rod, and um, how, uh, how you about next year. Uh, well, I'm going to take COP27 as one of those top stories, not just because I was there. But I, I pose this point to you. Uh, where else uh, this year or any other year would Russia and the United States and China and India and Ukraine and 190, how many I've got so far, 194, so it's about 198 altogether, countries agree on some things, which they did. And uh, those were the things that now go, have gone into the United Nations Framework um, Convention on Climate, uh, which is a, a really important overarching structure. And a lot gets added to it every year. And some really important things got added this year, uh, not the least of which was um, a determination to map out within the next year a finance facility for developing countries for mm. loss of damage. And it was really remarkable because the negotiations were so intense, the US climbed down its off its high horse, mm. and we're never going to do that because that's reparations, and China climbed down off its high horse, we're still a developing country, we're not going to contribute. And they said, oh, actually, we'll voluntarily contribute. Um, so I think it's quite remarkable. Um, and well, but it's a very good point, Rob, that they just, as you said, that, so I take back what I said, that is a, that you're right, the keeping talking, is is excellent, and also from APEC, did we not get the the agreement with between Biden and Xi to keep um, sorry G seven to to reopen the um, US US China um, global warming conversations? Yep, absolutely. But so you're it, right, you're right. It, it's not just about blue. keeping talking. What then flows from that is a whole bunch of. Um, uh, work programs where uh, all of these issues dis are discussed at great length. There's this great global sharing. And I think that's incredibly important and mm. equally as important for going on now in Montreal with COP15 on biodiversity. However, it's wrong to look to COP as the place that, you know, huge ambition is, is stated and agreed. Um, Paris in 2015 was a real anomaly. It had taken six years after the, the uh, disaster of Copenhagen to get to Paris, and that almost failed. So that's how hard it is to do. So you have to look to the ambition where stuff actually happens on the ground. So it's by people in a community, it's businesses, it's about small governments being more ambitious than ours is. Um, and and building up that level of political support and public support for more, which then uh, helps reinforce that overall um, global convention. So that's why I think the two parts are really important working hand in hand. And that's why COPs are fantastically in interesting, because they are genuinely whole of society things. They're not just as they once were, a bunch of um, uh, diplomats and government officials negotiating. They are really whole of society. And it's a real hooey of humanity. And um, Hooey of humanity, did you just say? I did. That was a phrase. Oh, that's really good. Did you use that? Did you use that in newsroom? That's rather brilliant. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I did. And um, so it wasn't who we all who we who we no do we. No, no, no. It was a who of humanity. And um, uh, and but here's the really worrying thing. 
the next year's is going to be um, the president is United Arab Emirates, which, of course, is a major petrostate. And they're saying there's going to be 80,000 people, twice as many people as the last two cops. And, uh, and of course, their agenda is that um, oil and gas are low emissions energy. Absolutely. Well, so certainly, certainly gas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, so uh, next year in Dubai is going to be extraordinary. Um, and um, we can definitely fly the A380 to that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I've already booked my flight, actually. Cause... But, Rod, because I, I brought something up maybe last week, and, of course, you know, the, the whole of New Zealand's become incredibly ignorant because we haven't been doing the hoon for the last two or three weeks. But, you know, that 37-year deal that China, agreement that China's just done with Qatar mm. for, you know, which for, for obvious reasons, for good reasons, um, you know, there's, there's, I saw some extraordinary statistic the other day that if um, Qatar develops the whole of its uh, north field, yep. gas field, um, that's really going to be quite a lot of emissions. Oh, uh, uh, it's a, a vast chunk of what's left of um, the mm. humanity's carbon budget. And uh, so that's why um, th- this next year is such an important one to really drive renewables very fast, uh, even faster. And the IEA is the International Energy Agency is really uh, onto this. Um, and their analysis is, is first rate. Um, because there has to be a showdown um, mm. in this coming year uh, with the fossil fuel. Um, but there's not going to be, it may have to be a showdown, Rod, but, you know, if you look at the amount that Saudi Arabia is promoting Aramco, the uh, extent to which, you know, Russia is Russia and Saudi are, Saudi are forming a bit of an alliance about oil. I, yep. I'm not very, I'm personally not very optimistic about that, not that this session requires my optimism. Um. Uh, so that's I like John Key at the end of the day. Oh, <laughs> well, the reality, the reality is the, the fossil fuel producers, whether they be states or companies, are, are a small population, right, against lined up against the rest of the world. Um, and so do not be intimidated um, because they've been awfully good at intimidating mm. whole countries and the global population. Don't don't be fooled. Don't be intimidated. I'm about to get on to Rio Tinto and the um, TY ah. and because that's another bit of gaslighting that's going on. Um, oh, gas lighting, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you've just really, really got to stand up to these people. And um, yeah, we can. They seem, but, but did, you know, but then we've got the European Union, European Commission. So the the, the, uh, the Qatar would appear to have been, you know, sending. It's fine for them to give buckets of money to, uh, but literally plastic bags filled with money to to Prince yep. Charles. But it appears not to be quite on for them to give buckets of money to the to European commissioners. Quite right, too. I I I don't think it will undo whatever goodwill they've created. But I am very open to buckets of money being delivered to me. Um, but um, they have. Uh, this is a. I, sorry, I can't resist the awful pun. It's an amazing own goal by them. Rod, I'm I'm curious though. I mean, you you paint a hopeful picture, and you're right. We have to be hopeful, otherwise we'd never get out of bed. But are we going to get there in time? Because one of the worries I've got had this year is the the fear of um, uh, a collection of tipping points coming together. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I am not optimistic. Um, my personal approach to all this is that one has to just absolutely keep pressing on and, and be very um, true to those 
absolute core issues and those core deadlines. Um, because if you stop doing that, then the inevitable happens. So you just never know. I mean, one person can only do a tiny thing, but, but you just never know how how things will suddenly change. So um, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is completely fascinating for all the geopolitical reasons and um, as glues anybody every day to the military reports. Um, but it's really extraordinary, the energy ones. I mean, who would have ever thought um, the Russians would have sabotaged the Nord Stream <laughs> line? And, well, and... I, I, I saw a thing the other day that it's actually the British Marines who would appear to have done that, according to various um, yeah. artists that I've looked at. Yeah, the, 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 I, I detect a smile there. Um, but, but the point is, um, the point I was trying to make there was that um, that's um, really accelerated um, a whole bunch of um, stuff on mm. uh, decarbonizing energy um, in um, in Europe. I, but I must say, uh, the truly, truly frightening story that was in the Economist a couple of weeks ago was their data analysis of how many excess deaths there could be in mm. Europe this year because of uh, yes. This- because yes. then no, I think this is absolutely critical. And, and, and it could be as many as 300,000 people. Which is um, an excellent segue to, to Professor Robert Patman, Dr. Robert Patman, Sir, soon to be Sir Robert Patman. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, we, we can do a poll on that. We can put a poll up. We go, Professor, Dr. Sir. Yeah, Lord. So I don't believe me on the system, so yeah, that probably yeah. rules me out. Yeah. Um, Lord, Lord Patman of, um, of uh, Otipoti. Um, yeah. <laughs> What do you, um, so we, we, we talked, Josie talked about this, Rod's just talked about it, the risks of a very, very dark winter, uh, particularly in Europe, and a, and a wonderful summer here, hopefully, of course. Um, what are you thinking about the fatigue question? Is that well, right, Rod, let to me move, first of all just give you my, my big three events. Oh, yes. yes. Big, um, I agree with it, what, you know, what, what's been said so far. Very difficult to, of course, make definitive choices. But the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that's the first major European war since 1945. Um, I think that is a a game changer. And uh, we we wait to see. It's a defining moment, I think, for the international order. We're not quite sure what will come out of it. But clearly the result will have, I think, a long shadow or a a big impact. Um, I think the the other events already been mentioned, so I won't dwell on it. The women's led uprising in Iran. It's not just important for Iran, but it has big consequences for the Middle East generally. Um, uh, the the other thing that I'd like to touch on, which is that we've seen the reinvigoration of liberal democracy, something that Josie alluded to, but we've also seen that coupled with the demise to some degree of uh, populism. Mr. Johnson leaving yeah. Downing Street, uh, Bolsonaro defeated, um, Mr. Trump's problems seem to multiply um, in the United States. I see there and- was a poll out overnight showing that um, the Florida governor, DeSantis, would win in a head-to-head with Trump, according to the Wall Street Journal poll. Yeah. So I think these are all interesting things. Um, and I think they're linked to some degree, um, not exclusively, but to some degree with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The, the other thing I, I'd like to touch on, which Rod touched on, which I think is very important as well, it's slightly different angle to it, is the announcement in the last few days that the United States has become the first country uh, to successfully uh, so, uh, test uh, this idea of nuclear fusion. That is that they've succeeded 
in theory of developing um, a, a possible new source of clean energy. There's been attempts to extract more energy than the initial input um, of energy into the nuclear fusion process. But until recently, there's, none of these have succeeded. The Americans now claim, American scientists claim, that have successfully extracted more energy from the nuclear fusion process than they put in. And uh, it was interesting that someone from the State Department said that this was uh, the greatest scientific achievement of the 21st century. Now, that's not going to be an immediate cure for climate change or anything like that, but it could have significant consequences down the tracks in in two decades. So I think it's just worth noting. I think it's a significant development and certainly complements the impetus that we're beginning to see, as Rod alluded to, um, in, in combating climate change Rod, do, respect, you think do you think we'll live to see that um well there's, there's a fair degree of urgency now and quite be this be quite clear there'll be enormous commercial uh prospects for accelerating this process whoever mm. can get a head start um or a first leader in developing clean energy will be making a huge amount of money so i think the americans will be pushing it like mad for commercial reasons um, and also probably for ethical reasons as well. Uh, it's always a it's always a good prospect when you can um, make money and be moral in the same process. Rod, how do well, you how do you see it? Would well, you unmute, I, please, for God's sake? <laughs> how long have we been doing this? No, I, I was. Um, I don't live too far away from the central fire station in the middle of Auckland, and we just had a fleet of ah. fire engines whiz down Gray's Avenue. Thank you. I went on mute. Um, uh, oh, look! Technologically, it just seems unbelievably difficult to do. Um, but I, it's. I, I'm. 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 I'm game. I, I think we could get there. And it, it, it plays into Rod's uh, idea that a bit like, you know, the last 10 minutes of the game, you're, you're down two tries and you, you think, oh, well, there's no way I'll ever get back here. A bit like, for me, one of the great, great highlights of the year in a year of pretty tough things was the last minute of the World Cup Rugby Women's Final oh. where we were camped on our own. Line. Sorry. Who won that? We're camped on our own line, and the British uh, mauling English, 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 sorry, English mauling uh, mauling pack had scored at every previous opportunity, and the um, New Zealand lock in desperation got the the hand of God up there and flicked the ball away in the in the line out and suddenly shocking her, we were actually going to win it. So that I like uh, Rod's mm. approach, which is you give it all to the end and and hope there's a Hail Mary and maybe this is the Hail Mary. Jesus, you're using rugby as a metaphor for everything. Wow, you know, that was a good you thing. You really are Corinne yeah. Dan now, aren't you? It's just ridiculous. <laughs> So just uh, just finally, Rod, and um, we'll come back to, to, to you, Robert, um, but just finally, Rod, coming the, bringing the climate story back to New Zealand, we had Hawaka Ekanoa, and we've got Rio Tinto doing a, mm. um, a reheated, um, either you could call it a, a, a um, charm offensive or um, a gaslighting society. So we have to have some charm in order to have a charm offensive, but carry on. Yeah, yeah. What, what what do you think about New Zealand's response to the climate change story? 
in part because in the last 24 hours we've had some news which shows that the government has yet again gone for the lower cost option over the um, nuclear free moment option. Yeah, we're, we're patting ourselves on the back for having, you know, the high level stuff for climate change commission, actually, which the government doesn't listen to um, from time to time as of just last night on the ETS. Um, and uh, we've got an emissions reduction plan and we're going to be you know, one of the first countries in the world to do um, climate um, related financial disclosure risk, uh, all that kind of stuff. But we're not actually um, seeing much happening on emissions. And that's particularly true on the half of our emissions that come from the farming system. Mm. And, and meanwhile, the um, out there in the rest of the world, Fonterra's competitors and some of its customers are moving on so fast, setting themselves big goals. And, you know, and Fonterra hasn't even set itself a target for reducing methane. And, and Haywalker Econo just goes round and round in circles. Mm. And what's on the table now, which I think the government is very likely to pick up, um, is um, a, a tiniest, tiniest penalty for any kind of emissions and massive incentives um, for doing something about them. So it, it's um, it, it's all very screwed up. And then, well, then of course, there's the whole forestry component of that mm. too, oh, yeah. which yeah. is um, uh, very um, uh, deep, deeply, deeply damaging Rod, as well. Now, so, now that I've realised that you're in, I, I've been wanting to ask you about this, I think you were in um, Egypt when it, when it came up. Um, you will have seen Business Desk did, a, did quite an interesting series with Adrian Macy about the potential 30 billion cost of New Zealand buying um, overseas carbon credits. Yeah, I'm, I just that really struck me and having met Adrian as well as being completely unsustainable and being a classic kind of James Shaw gesture, gesture of pushing it off into the future while, you know, securing your future as a, as a Greenpeace spokesman. Uh, I wouldn't lay that blame entirely at Shaw's feet or uh, on his desk um, because he has to work within um, the very difficult political construct. But bear in mind, he's not even um, a minister in cabinet. Mm. Um, he doesn't even end up on any cabinet ranking. He's one of the partnership ones at the bottom. Um, so it's a mystery to me quite how much sway he might have um, in government. Um, but there is one other example of a country that's planning to buy an awful lot of offsets elsewhere, and that's Switzerland. Mm -hmm. um, and they're already well ahead of us because they've got about half a dozen very detailed agreements with countries. Um, but it's a terrible idea because um, the, the, the overwhelming issue is that everybody's got to reduce emissions. Yeah. So you can't just sort of say, oh, well, we actually find it a bit hard, so we'll pay somebody else yeah, to do it. Yeah, exactly. You've got to do it. At the same time as helping other countries, uh, especially developing ones, um, transition very rapidly away um, from emissions themselves. Um, and so we, if we did this, we're going to end up um, perpetuating a terrible economy, um, a, a very high emissions one. We're going to be hit by carbon border adjustment mechanisms and everything else that's mm -hmm. coming. I mean, it's fundamentally um, completely crazy policy. And um, of course, it's the sort of thing that um, if this is what you get from a Labour Greens government, um, just imagine. Ex imagine exactly, exactly. May, may, I, may, may, may I flip to, 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 to Professor Patman or Dr. Patman for a, for a, for a safety on this? Robert, one yeah. of the things that um, uh, Christopher Luxon, the Toby joke, talked about the other day in his uh, response to um, Volodymyr Zelensky was the alleged. By the failure. way, we'll we'll get him on the show and and who Zelensky or or the Toby <laughs> Jackson? 
Well, Actually, good. wouldn't wouldn't Zelensky be great? I mean, that, mm. that's that's yeah, a if he knew how influential we were, Bernard. But then I everybody should... would say that I was interrupting Vladimir Zelensky, <laughs> and not just that's right. Uh, we we uh, you've almost got an olive shirt, Caleb. If you yeah, no, well, no, but can I just say, speaking of Gini coefficients, I'd like to say that this has got a star on it. So uh, I am, in fact, a snitch with a star on Mars. Uh, if you know the true literature of Doctor Zeus, but uh, Robert, the the. Christopher Luxon took aim at the United Nations. It's a very easy, easy thing to do. My personally, I do find uh, uh, Antonio Guterres to be a particularly ineffective and ineffectual um, mm. Secretary General. Um, what's what's happening? What do we think about the United Nations? I, I guess Guterres did the deal about about Ukrainian grain, but what's what's happening there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think. One of the, you know we've been speak all of us have been alluding to the Russian invasion how significant it was, but I think the UN Security Council, in Zelensky's words, had failed uh, spectacularly. In you know we had this ridiculous situation, which has been going on for some time, predates the Russian invasion, of course, where five members of the permanent members of the Security Council can block anything through the use of the veto they don't like, which means the UN Security Council is totally dysfunctional. And I think, and this was going to be one of my points for looking forward in 2023, if you could get I think there is, uh, particularly if, as I as anticipate, I uh, may be wrong, I anticipate Ukra Ukraine are going to be successful in the struggle against um, Russia uh, in 2023, or if not before, certainly 2023. Um, I think that Zelensky has pledged to reform the UN Security Council, he made that he made a dramatic address to the UN Security Council in which he said he had the moral right after the conflict was over to make sure that never again would the UN Security Council mm. be impotent and a bystander when its own rules are violated by one of its permanent members. And he said that he hinted very strongly the the and this would be music to New Zealand diplomats' ears that. The big problem is the is the right of the veto, and it has to mm. be either severely constrained or abolished. Now it sounds like pie in the sky, but the fact of the matter is that mo the whole overwhelming overwhelming majority of members of the UN actually want to take that step. Mm. So I, I think that one of the issues that may come up in 2023 with the conclusion of the war is that Zelensky may be able to use some of his political capital to lend impetus to something which many middle powers. And small countries mm -hmm. have been secretly fantasizing about, but frightened of alienating some of the big players who are P5 members. Well, so let's, let's hope Jacinda's be... got a really, really nice warm coat for that walk down the main drag, main drag of Kiev soon. Yeah. He'll need something better than a T-shirt. But you see, the, the problem is that the, perm, the, 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 veto, the right of the veto was introduced when it was assumed that great powers could solve international problems. That's no longer the case in the 21st century. Most of the problems that we face, whether they be climate change, whether it be uh, pandemics, whether it be transnational terrorism, can't be fixed unilaterally by great powers, mm -hmm. either collectively or unilaterally. You've, you've talked about that powers. a lot. I think that's, there's definitely a north and south column uh, in that for me, for me to write just asking you, you know, or, or you could write another bloody 10,000 word PhD I'll, thesis I'll, on it. I'll send you the transcript from this. It's, it's, it's easy to... Yeah, to... no, I think that's a real... I, Robert, whenever you talk about this... I feel it's slightly pie in the sky, but also highly desirable. I don't think it's pie in the sky because 
This isn't wishy-washy idealism. The fact of the matter is, at the moment, the UN Security Council here. is dysfunctional. It doesn't work. Yeah. No, and no, we I, have I, urgent problems, that Rod was just alluding to, like climate change. Mm. We need the machinery to make solutions to such problems, and we don't have it. So it's not pie in the sky. It's just functional necessity. Yeah, and I think you're, I think you're right, Robert, in that the the um, the power has shifted, and uh, people are now aware that uh, when you can use what is in effect a consumer level drone to um, uh, wage war against one of the world's superpowers and win, uh, if it's an extraordinary uh, time. And 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 you're right. I think that there's enough of a mood of um of frustration and and anger at the oh oh Bernard's gone good lord you're the host of that you don't think that was digital intervention do you no I don't but I I can't I can tell you about the video that he's talking about maybe I just I don't think I accidentally took over as host did I Jesus otherwise he'd still be there (laughs) surely not Peter that would be so, yeah, yeah. God forbid that I should actually be. This is not a coup, is it? Yeah, yeah, no, it is actually, yeah. No, that's right. I'm, I'm, yeah, Julie, Julie Timmons in there is, um, is getting through. But all right, let me, let me see if I can flick to this video that Bernard was, which is an absolutely sensational video of a Russian Mavic uh, drone, which is a hobbyist's drone, being attacked by what I think is a, is a, an Ukrainian DJI drone and filming it the whole time. And then... There is an absolutely shit-scared um, Russian, but it's the professional term from the um, defence community, shit-scared is a, is a known comp, uh, you know, thing with soldiers. It's a um, battlefield condition. It's a battlefield condition, exactly, exactly. Uh, let me just get it up, as it were, and uh, I can share it with you on my screen, I think, with everybody. And this is we're going to close this, but there is also a, a skateboarding dog. And if, I don't know quite where Bernard's gone, but I'm... We're all very grateful for your um, for your attendance and for um, for all of you for participating throughout the last last year. And I will try and shout out. Oh, here's Bernard. Hang on. Let me just share my screen and show. Oh, you've you've disabled. I've disabled you, and you've disabled screen. We fucking need a producer here, Bernard. For God's sake. All right, you show the video. I was just about to do it. Uh, no, no, you please show it. Um, Mike no, no, you've start. disabled screen screen sharing, so you you share it, please. Uh, okay, I'll I'll just I'll have to. Oh. God, this is the younger, more handsome you, right? Yeah, uh, my apologies. Um, can you enable the screen sharing on yours? Because I'm using my iPad and I can't. Um... No, no, I can't because you've disabled it, you bugger. You're the host. Uh, Christ, no. this is the professionalism of this operation is just absolutely <laughs> very extraordinary, uh, isn't it? My apologies. Um, we're going to have to we're going to have to leave it there. All right, it's a great. I, 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 will, I will flick a link to everybody now. It is. Oh yeah, yeah, do, do. Oh, and the skateboarding dog story of this week is the Polish uh, police uh, commander who took a souvenir or was given a souvenir from the Ukrainian battlefield, which was a grenade launcher, which uh, went off in his <laughs> neighbouring office, which which reminds me a lot of the times when I was in uh, Iraq in Kuwait during the first Gulf War and people were picking up AK-47s and taking them home to the UK and finding that they had a, had a, had a, had a bullet up the barrel. So, but I, but I do rather like the idea of a Polish police officer's uh, souvenir um, going off in his office, but he was slightly injured, but not seriously. 
But thank you, everybody, so much. Um, thank you. I, I, let me just, you keep talking for a second, Bernard, you bloody idiot. Come on. Here we go. <laughs> my apologies, people, for my computer dying. It's been another wonderful year. Thank you so much for coming along to the Hoons and subscribing to the Kaka and letting us uh, have fun and uh, hopefully do some useful things here. Uh, I please have safe, warm, dry uh, summers, and we shall see you back again in mid to late uh, January. Um, ka kite anō, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bernard. Thanks, Thanks, Peter. Have Thanks. a good Christmas. Bye-bye. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Cheers, Ross. Bye. Bye. Bye.